0: Chapter 16 of An American in the Making: The Life Story of an Immigrant by Marcus Eli Ravage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 16: Off to College. But to college I went that autumn all the same. The examinations were no sooner over than I gave up my tutoring and my school and began to cast about for something real to do. I had entered the high school to attain a particular object. It had been defeated, but I had got something else in its stead. I had improved my English. I had acquired new and more regular methods of study. I had completed my entrance requirements so that I need not worry now about working off conditions in college. Still, there was no sense in keeping up the grind, even though the authorities sent postal card after postal card to Mrs. Schlesinger, threatening me with the visitations of the truant officer. They were snail-slow in that city institution. The course was, to all intents and purposes, finished, but they were taking the entire month from the end of May to the last of June to review and wind up. I could do better with those four weeks. Time was precious. If I got busy straight away, that very month might decide whether I should graduate in 1910 or 1911. In a financial sense, I was no better off now than a year ago, rather worse, if anything. I had not only fallen behind by a year so that if I entered college at all, I would be a freshman when goodman and a lot of others of my companions would be sophomores i had missed the chance of laying up some money toward the lean years that were ahead of me the failure to earn the state scholarship i had come to take philosophically it merely prevented me from going to cornell the university i had set my heart on but that prize would after all have paid only my tuition My living expenses I must earn in any event. At one of the free out-of-town colleges, to be sure, it might prove harder to find work. But hadn't I tried this past year to combine study with business in New York? And with what results? Besides, college was not high school. By all accounts, a medical student had practically no time left when his day in the lecture room and the laboratory was over. In a small town there would at least be no wastage in traveling back and forth. The road to follow was, therefore, plain. I must utilize every bit of the three or four months between now and the opening of college. How? That was the question. Ornstein and Stein, my former employers, had a vacancy at the double needle machine but a week's trial revealed the fact that shirts were going through one of their periodic slack seasons that summer the union too had disintegrated and piece prices were at their worst just when i was perfectly ready to work overtime there was hardly enough to do during the day a little figuring showed me that at the present rate I would not get enough together by September to pay even for my trip to college. Fortunately my good cousin David was an electrician and was working as a lineman at the Pennsylvania terminal then building. I knew nothing about the trade beyond a few odd terms such as potential, cathodes, alternating current and Leyden jar which i had picked up in my study of physics and which david did not know and regarded as worse than useless nevertheless he managed to get me taken on as his helper at a wage of one dollar and seventy-five cents a day david was devoting his evenings to taking care of the tenement house he was living in and he insisted that i must come and take a room in his apartment You can save about $20, he urged, and it will be no loss to me. We have more space than we can use, and I am not paying any rent. Once he got me up there, he pointed out that there were no restaurants in the neighborhood, except American ones, which served food I could not eat, so that I must eat at his table. When the week was up, and I asked Rose, his wife, To tell me how much i owed her she sent me about my business and added with a laugh that i could pay all in a bunch at the rate of ten dollars a week when i became a doctor or i might reimburse her by treating her four children that david family saved the situation rose even persisted in spite of all my protests to double the number of her husband's sandwiches which she packed for him every morning, along with a bottle of cold coffee, so that my lunch money went likewise to increase the great pile. David and I had an hour at noon, so I carried a book with me to work every day and employed the better part of the period in going over the English and American classics I had studied once when one of the engineers on the job found my copy of emerson's essays in the supply chest and he asked david whose it was my cousin pointed proudly at me the gentleman however did not seem impressed he threw me a sidelong glance and smiled superiorly when he was gone david burst out laughing that's a good one on him he cried He doesn't know you could give him a few pointers. Why didn't you speak up, you big silly, and tell him that he wasn't the only college guy on the place? The whole world, however, is not made up of Davids and Roses, and my family was no exception to the rule. Looking ahead, I could see that the dollars I was saving would hardly suffice to carry me through. A friend who for reason of his own must remain nameless offered to lend me fifty dollars but the attempt to persuade my two brothers to contribute each an equal amount met with only partial success indeed my relatives who had up to this time been very proud of my ambitions and my achievements now held up their hands in solemn disapproval at my selfishness it was all very well they declared to become a doctor but this business of borrowing money to get there was carrying matters to extremes my cousin the collar maker could not see why shirt making was good enough for him and not for me another cousin thought i had enough education already a third was convinced that i could persuade mr rockefeller to lend me the money uncle burl confessed quite frankly that he had had his doubts about a fellow who could not win a paltry scholarship ever becoming a doctor anyhow uncle Schmerl, equally as frankly laid it before the whole assemblage that it was a foolish thing to encourage a poor boy to rise above his kind so that he might later put on airs and be ashamed of his own kindred brother harry was not so philosophical as all that but he was intending to go into business for himself might it not be best he wanted to know to wait another year and in the meantime earn the money at the machine only gentle paul was silent at the family council except to say that as long as he kept his job He would spare me his dollar a week. But all the advice and the censure was to no purpose. I had made up my mind. Money or no money, I was going. My earnings as an electrician would pay my fare. The Lord might do the worrying about the rest. To my great astonishment, I discovered that even my radical associates were staunchly opposed to my plans and my ambitions. I had confidently expected that they, at least, would understand my longing for emancipation and approve of it. It was from them, largely, that I had got the inspiration, the worship of learning, the ideal of culture, the dream for a higher plane of life. They had no illusions about the wretched, precarious existence of the working man. They constantly lamented his lot, his oppression by the rulers and capitalists, his lack of opportunity to develop himself, his imprisonment in dingy lofts and airless tenements. Their newspapers and their lecturers never tired of insisting that the liberation of the working class could only come by education and that this education must come from within from the conscious endeavor of the proletariat itself well here i was carrying their theories into practice i was going to get educated to lift myself out of my class i was going to make my fight for the freedom and the leisure and the opportunity to develop which they had taught me was the inalienable right of every man. Why should they not give me their most enthusiastic support? I remember the stormy discussion at the anarchist reading-room that followed upon my announcement. Isidore Lipschitz, the cadaverous, curly-haired closer who had befriended me in the days of my apprenticeship and had witnessed the beginning of my career— burst out into sarcastic fiendish laughter and joe shapiro affectionately nicknamed the red bull jumped to his feet and launched into a passionate denunciation of my sacrilegious perversion of radical principles the class-conscious proletariat is no longer good enough for you he shouted you want to go to college to become a gentleman and a bourgeois to wear spats i suppose and silk gloves quite like a little quadpate. all right go and the devil take you but and here he waved a menacing finger in my face don't you come around here and pollute this place with your infernal sophistries did you hear that isidore to our lecturers he compares himself the cheek of the nix Whoever told you that Fagenbaum and Hermelin and Lysen have gone to college? They started in the shop, and they have developed by their own brains and the right kind of reading. But they have stuck to their class and have devoted themselves to the interests of the worker. They have not tried to climb in among the church walkers and the capitalists and the oppressors. Traitor! In vain, I tried to make myself heard, and to explain that by getting a thorough education, I was serving the best interests of my class. As a factory hand, I argued, all my energy and struggling against a complex system was doomed to be unavailing. They insisted that the emancipation of the worker could only come by the education of the body as a whole, not by the sporadic selfish scrambling out of individuals into the ranks of the oppressors my place was in the shop among the men and women who were building up the movement with their blood and their brains they predicted that no sooner would i enter college than my class consciousness would melt away and i would begin to feel myself as belonging to the camp of the enemy My whole course was treason to the cause of labor. I smiled incredulously at their passionate presentiments, but the event, as you shall see, proved that they were not altogether wrong. The only person I got any comfort out of was Esther. She admitted that, theoretically, there was, no doubt, something to be said for the point of view of our radical friends, but that in practice I was entirely right. She even found an element of the heroic in my undertaking. As long as the world was what it was, there was nothing for the individual to do but to make the most of his own opportunities. Besides, I was not merely striving for economic betterment, if at all and it was pure sentimental nonsense to raise objections against the aspirations of a hungry mind about my financial difficulties she was equally encouraging with my energy and my various abilities i ought to have no trouble at all in earning all i spent to say nothing of my modest hope of making a dollar a week so In the autumn of 1906, I started out on my great adventure. Throughout the summer, I had been studying catalogs from all ends of the country and making the rounds of all cut-rate ticket offices in the city in an effort to make my scant savings go as far as I could. The New York medical colleges, with their tuition rates of $150 and upward, were of course out of the question some of the state universities i found charged no tuition fees but a study of certain tables contained in the bulletin showed that the minimum expenditure for board and room per year was two hundred and fifty dollars heaven preserve me one hundred was my limit and i would have to earn the most of that therefore EVEN THOSE SCHOOLS THAT PROMISED REASONABLE LIVING EXPENSES HAD TO BE PASSED UP AS LONG AS THEIR CATALOGUES SAID NOTHING ABOUT WAYS AND MEANS. FINALLY, AFTER TWO MONTHS OF FIGURING AND COMPARING, I CHOSE THE UNIVERSITY OF MISSOURI. IT APPEARED TO COMBINE ALL THE ADVANTAGES OF ECONOMY WITH HIGH ACADEMIC STANDARDS. I CALCULATED that by living at the dormitories and boarding at the University Dining Club I could make an appreciable cut in my first estimate. Perhaps I could skimp through the year on $75 and pay my railroad fare with the remainder of the hundred. And the reports of the YMCA made me feel certain that I could earn the better part of the outlay by doing odd jobs. I did not start from New York until two weeks after the official opening of the university. My experience in the night school had taught me how to do a month's work in a week, so that I had no doubt of my ability to catch up with my classes. As long as I had a job, I felt that I ought to keep it as long as I could. Heaven alone knew when I would have another so I worked at the Pennsylvania terminal until one Friday late in September. On Saturday I packed my belongings, bought the return half of an excursion ticket to St. Louis for three dollars less than the regular price, and went around to say goodbye to my friends. Goodman gave me a pound of Russian tobacco and a case of five hundred cigarettes, from his father's shop, Esther wanted to give me her fountain pen, but I would not let her and made her accept my two leather-bound quarto volumes of Dickens left-overs from my bookselling venture in gratitude for her confidence in me. On Sunday, I was off. My brothers, my cousins, and a number of my schoolfellows came to the station as i scrambled into the car with my telescope case and my big bundle of food for the journey the women-folk burst into tears poor max they cried what will become of him out there in the wilderness among strangers cut off from the world i tried to smile encouragingly but my heart was in my throat i was to learn the reason for those kind Silly tears soon enough. I was going to the land of the real Americans. End of chapter 16.